Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, I don't like to start a message like this without going to God in prayer. So can we bow our heads? Hey God, there's all kinds of parents here and we know for sure everybody here has had parents. We want to ask for you to come and speak something fresh, something specific, something straight to our heart, straight from your heart this morning. We trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk to you today about your child's relationship with you. And even if you don't have a child now, you may at some point in the future, or when you're over at your friend's house who have kids, you want to be able to judge them in your heart of what they're doing wrong. So this message will really help you. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, here's the deal. I'm not a child psychologist. Um, I'm just a parent. I'm a parent with five kids starting at 15 down to six years old. And like many of you, I am in the thick of it. What's a little bit unique about my situation is as a pastor, I get to hear people's stories a lot. And often they'll come to me and say, Carter, here's what my problem is. And it has to do something with the way my parents did this, that, or failed to do this, that, or the other thing. What's a little bit fun was before I was a lead pastor, I was actually a young adult pastor. Man, that was a uh, a hilarious intersection um, of both parents and their kids who are now kind of adult kids coming to me and saying, oh man, I'm having a problem with my kid. I'm having a problem with my parents. What do I do? How do I make it through this transition alive? And... Just just a lot of crazy stuff going on. But often parents would pull me aside and say, Carter, all right, hey, can you fix my kid now? Um, and, and, you know, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. That's People really would say that kind of thing. And I was like, wow, hey, man, you know, I mean, God can help people over time. He can't put them in the microwave right now and, and probably fix anything. But oftentimes, even in conversations with those parents, I would often be like, man, I'll tell you what I wish I could do is go back in time 10 years and do some fixing of you, parents, because some of their strategies were really not paying off in their relationship with their kids. So that's a little bit about me. Here, here's what I know. I know that all of us are witnessing other people's dysfunctionality, our own dysfunctionality. We're a part of families. We see stuff go right. We see stuff go wrong. And probably every one of us wants to be a great parent, wants to leave a great impact if it it ever winds up that we are parents. And so I think this series is going to be very relevant to you. We're going to start with a passage that comes It it seems kind of weird on its own. We need to understand what's happening. Pastor Armand explained it well a couple weeks ago. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are telling us, hey, here's what God did for everybody who has made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. The last three chapters are saying, now here's what you do about it. Here's how this should work out. Here's what should be true in your life if this is true of you. And we happen upon this verse that has to do with parenting. And it says fathers, but we're going to apply that to all people right now, all parents. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. We're not going to deal with everything in this passage. Over the next few weeks, we're going to pull a little bit more 
out of it, but bring that up, that, that word can also be translated nourish, that phrase. What comes to mind when you think of the word nourish? You know, if I looked it up in the dictionary, which I did, it said provide with food or other substances necessary for growth, health, and good condition. I think of nurturing soil and making it more uh, healthy so it's going to be more fruitful. I think of maybe a new mother nursing her brand new baby. She's nurturing the thing. She's creating an environment of health so that baby can go on and live and grow and become what it is supposed to be. But whatever it is, I don't necessarily, what doesn't come to mind is just clinical stuff. Like it's not botany. It's not just describing the ingredients that go on. This idea of bring them up in the Lord, it has to do with God's ways, but it has to do with a relationship that is taking place. This, is, this parenting thing, this nourishing thing is happening in the context of a relationship. What exactly does God want us to nourish these kids in? Well, now I want you to hear this with balance, okay? And, and let me just say up front, everybody's at a different stage. And you may have already gotten through a leg of life where you've done a lot of your parenting. So let me just, let's just own, I don't do everything right. You probably haven't done everything right. And some of what I'm going to say may be like, oh man, well now I regret this or that. And I wish I could go back. Let's not even go there. Let's just trust there's a real God that works everything together for our good. And he helps us hear the information we need to hear when we need to hear. And it's not that we don't have regrets, but we can go ahead and give those to Jesus and not walk in guilt and just see what can I learn today so that I can impact the future in a positive way. Is that a deal? Well, here's one of the imbalances that we have sometimes, not just maybe in our individualized, but our culture reinforces this. And that is we are hyper-focused on positive experiences, especially for our kids. We want to get them in this sport. We want to get them in this extracurricular activity. We want to take them this, that, and the other place. We want them to have positive experiences and that's good. And sometimes we want them to have that because we didn't have that. I said, well, I want them to have this thing because I went without, or we had a very meaningful experience. We're like, man, that was really good. I mean, that would really shape me, and I really want my kids to take part of that. And that is all great, too. Nothing wrong with giving our kids positive experiences. What becomes wrong is when we're so focused on experiences, which cost resources, cost time, that we miss focusing on relationships those good relationships that really are going to shape them as they get into adulthood. See, here's what I found out. Some of you know this. By the time we get into our 30s, I mean, we've had a lot of experiences and some were good and some were bad, but the thing that is making life worth living once you reach a certain age is not our experiences anymore because we can always have more of those. Rather, it's our relationships. It's the meaningful relationships that we have and the meaningful work we do with those people we're in meaningful relationship with. So here's the problem. We've got, we've got parents that are hyper-focused. Hey, put all these experiences into kids. Just pump them up full of experiences. And they are experience-rich, but in the pursuit of that, we can become relationally poor. So here's what it looks like. It looks like, well, you know what? I got them you know, I, I got them into the right college or whatever. You know, honestly, I don't remember the last time we sat down and had a heart-to-heart. I don't remember the last time we had dinner together. 
But I, you know, I checked it off. I got them the experience. Or we went on that trip and it was really good. But the truth is, you know, I haven't looked them in the eye. I haven't gotten in down into their soul and found out what is troubling them. What is making them tick? Why are they making some of the decisions they're making? So we can be experienced rich, but then relationally poor. I believe that if aliens came and they just evaluated us for a little while, they might say, hey, you know those humans, when it, when it comes to parenting, I mean, what is really important to them, we can just tell by evaluating them, is they really like to get their kids to a lot of places on time. And they really like to make sure those kids are dressed right and look cool and have the right gadgets. And that would be the report card that maybe a lot of us would get. Maybe I would get that report card. Instead of, you know, they don't do quite as much as maybe we anticipated, but they are deep into the thick of relationship with their kids. They are clearly aiming at equipping their kids to have a meaningful life with regard to their relationships. And guys, this is, this is how it is in our culture. It is normal. This is how the parenting culture goes. It is normal to be experienced rich, but relationally poor. Well, God enters the picture and God, who actually is the one who makes us parents and grandparents, he gives us grace. He gives us his power. You see, he doesn't ask us, go be a parent and do the best you can. God knows that we're imperfect. God knows that we're broken. God knows that we don't have everything together. He knows if I leave it to them all on their own, they're gonna get a lot wrong. So he says, anything that I'm gonna call you to, I want to give you the grace to do. I wanna put my power on you to do. That's what, when we say grace, we're saying, we need God's grace, God's power to do things with his help versus just do things for him. Listen to the way that Paul says it. Paul was telling these Corinthians that he's writing to, see, some people were coming against Paul and they were saying, here's why Paul's unqualified. And even though Paul really had better qualifications than anybody in terms of his pedigree, he was choosing to delight in that which made him weak because Paul had this weird understanding of a mystery that I sometimes kind of get and sometimes don't get. But then when we embrace weakness and admit our dependence on Jesus, he gives us more of his power. And this is the way that he says it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Do we have any folks in here right now or listening that the truth is you would admit, I don't always know what I'm doing. I don't always get this right. I mean, there's, there's times, I mean, I'm just straight up clueless. If we're ready to go there, then I can, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that his grace is for you. His power is for you. The, the place he wants to rest his power, the, the parent that he wants to get in their life and say, I'm going to pour extra wisdom on you. I'm going to give extra understanding to you. I'm going to help you discern things that are going on in their heart that you never know because you're willing to admit weakness, because you're willing to admit dependence, because you're going to say, Jesus, you are the ultimate parent and I'm going to need your help to parent these kids in a way that brings you glory. Here's your bottom line. We're candidates for God's power as we admit our need for his grace. We are candidates for God's power as we admit our need for his grace. There was a major research project called the National Study of Youth and Religion. And they wanted to know, hey, what goes into a young person who started out as a Christ follower after high school? What keeps them following Christ? What keeps them moving forward and prevailing in their walk with God? And here's what they found. 
They found that teenagers are most likely to retain their Christian faith into adulthood if they have meaningful and healthy relationship with their parents, a faithful Christian mentor outside the family, and with God himself. What, what did that project just describe? Three relationships. Three relationships that are crucial, that parents need to ask some questions about. About these three relationships in our, in our young ones and the people we influence in their lives. So let me ask you these questions. These questions are going to be some... Uh, <clears throat> So they're going to bring some definition to the, this series. If you get nothing else out of this series, if you just ask these three questions, you're going to be better equipped to parent whatever stage your kids are at, whether they're six or 60, you're going to be better equipped to help influence them positively. Here's the questions. Number one, what are you doing to enhance your child's relationship with you? What are you doing to, enhance, what are you doing to, to, to get that child closer to you? Number two, what are you doing to advance your child's relationship with God. So if they're still in the home, when they leave the home, they're convinced I am someone who is accountable to a real God and I'm on the hook for pursuing him. And number three, what are you doing to influence your child's relationships outside the home? And we don't just mean protect them from bad kids or bad folks or whatever, but influence them toward people that relationally speaking, are probably going to bring along some game changers into their life because those folks are a tremendously positive influence on them. And what are you and I doing as parents to help that? See, here's what we know. With regard to these questions, it's not a question of whether or not we're influencing kids in this way. We definitely are. The question is, are we doing it intentionally? So you may be doing, you may be negatively influencing your kids in those directions, or you may be positively influencing them, but we're not asking that question. We're asking, are you and I doing it intentionally? Meaning, are we recognize God has delegated this responsibility to me, and so by golly, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to think it through. I'm going to make sure for the rest of my years on this planet, I'm going to do whatever I can, whether it's the child that I babysit, whether it's my own kids, whether it's my grandkids, whether it's the neighbor kid across the street, I'm going to do whatever I can do to be a positive influence in that child's life. So here's what I'm going to ask everybody to do. I'm going to ask you today to take responsibility for being an intentional spiritual influence in your child's life. Take Responsibility. Can somebody say take responsibility? responsibility. You guys know this. There's so many awesome parents here, but, but the reason you're awesome, if you're awesome, is because at some point you decided it was on you. You decided it was on you. It wasn't on anybody else. It wasn't on the church. It wasn't on the school. It wasn't on anybody but you to take responsibility for an intentional spiritual influence in your child's life. Can somebody say, I will be an intentional influence? Well, how do we do that? Here's number one. We don't exasperate them. We don't exasperate them. Did you see that? In verse four, fathers or parents or grandparents, don't provoke your children to anger. That means don't be riding them all the time. Don't be always lobbing in some critique. Don't always be telling, well, you know, you, you got to fix this and all oh, this is out of place and that thing's missing. And of course, when they're very, very young, obviously they need, it's high direction and there should be consequences for not, not obeying. We're not talking about that. We're talking about as they get older, 
parents, I mean, I mean, some of you, you've had this, you've had maybe a boss or you've had somebody in authority over you, whether it was a parent or somebody else, where man, I was like, dude, they just couldn't ever say good job. Like it was just never enough. There's always, they're always nitpicky. They're always getting their, their feathers ruffled about something. And God says, hey, hey, parents, don't do that. That is not going to nourish your child and nurture them in the right way. If you want to put God's ways into them, don't exasperate them. Let's, let's pull apart what exasperate someone looks like, what exasperating them looks like. Here's the first thing I wrote down. More critique than encouragement. This is when we're critiquing them more than we're encouraging them. This is where we're, instead of making deposits of love and affection and helping them understand how much they mean to us, we're pulling out of them. We're even, I mean, I, I go crazy when I hear parents do this. We're even cutting them down. We're even, because maybe we think we're clever, we're trying to poke fun at them or make them feel weird about themselves or some garbage like that. That's hell, dude. That's what that is. Parents, our job isn't, you know, you're going to have to give feedback. But in giving feedback, it should be in the context of high encouragement, of saying stuff like, I love you. You are so special to me. You're so important to me. I'm so glad that you're my kid. I'd do anything for you. If you were lined up with all little girls on the whole planet, I'd choose you. Because to me, you're everything. I believe in you. I don't care what they say. I, I, I know you can do it. I know you're, hey, you know what? It's okay to make mistakes. Hey, you know what? I saw you over there. You were really trying hard. And I'm proud of you for that. Man, you got guts, kid. You are awesome. Hey, can I ask you something a little personal? You don't have to say it out loud. How many for you? That would have made a lot of difference for you as a kid if your parents had created that kind of a culture. I talked to a gal in between services today. I mean, she just, she's almost in tears. She said, my parents were hard. I mean, you know, they did the best they could, but the truth is, you know, she, she can understand now at a, at a later stage of life, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, they, I mean, they just, they were grumbly and rough and, and really death speaking. And you know, there's grace and, and praise God, you know, she, she's got forgiveness in her heart toward them. But I know that, None of us would choose that. None of us want to be that kind of a parent. And we've got to decide to take responsibility for the context and the culture we're creating. And it's got to be one of high encouragement. And I'm not talking about lying to your kids. I don't tell them they're brilliant, you know, for adding two plus two. But, but we're just saying that there should be honest and appropriate, uh, intentional encouragement with regard to what our kids are doing. It involves sending them a note from time to time. It involves just, just grabbing them and kissing them on the head and telling them, you're a miracle. You know what? You're a good thing. You're not a bad thing. You're an awesome thing. I'm like, blessed that God would even allow me to be your parent. Like, I don't deserve to have a kid like you. That is the kind of environment that is going to avoid kids feeling exasperated. Here's another one. Not being emotionally present. Not being emotionally present. I give props to everybody who is making a concerted effort to be around. I mean, I think that's awesome, and that's square one. But we've also got to be emotionally present. My friends, some of us, and I don't know who's worse at it. I mean, I think it depends on your, your personality and what you tend to busy yourself doing. But sometimes we got dads, and I mean, they're doing everything but engaging the kid emotionally. They're around, but they're out in the shed 
or they're fixing something, or they're down in the basement working on the hobby, gluing the train together. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But if we're never getting eye to eye and heart to heart, there's moms who are on Facebook or they're, you know, doing something on their phone or, or whatever. They're doing everything but engaging those kids. We got we to give those kids affection. And I know for some, this is really hard because you're not like a touchy kind of person. And, and I honor that and I respect that. And let me go ahead and challenge that in Jesus' name. You don't have to be Barney the dinosaur, okay? You don't have to be that. But I want to challenge you. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a Christ follower, for love. You've been given the Spirit of God to do stuff. And the Spirit of God can help you just take one step. Just stretch a little bit for you. What is the next step for you that this would be more affection coming from me? And kids are different, aren't they? I mean, they're not all the same. Some of them don't, they don't need high affection, but they need high interest. You know, my kids are very different. Some of them, you know, they want a lot of hugs and they want, you know, they want a lot of hugs and other ones, and you know, they want me to ask them questions. They want, you know, and I, I got to do it. I got to jump in and be like, oh, tell me how you, and that's, that's one of my favorites, you know, as a dad with a lot of girls around me, tell me how you feel about that, you know? And all I'm doing, I'm picking out stuff in their life. Tell me how you feel about braces. Tell me how you feel about Barbie. Tell me how you feel about, you know, that new book you're, you know. It's not, it's not rocket science, man. It's just, hey, let me get you talking. Tell me about you and what's going on in your life. Well, that's one personality type, but then I've got, you know, I've got my little boy. And I, you know, I mean, if I ask him how he feels about his Legos, he can be like, Dad, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, that doesn't make any sense to his male brain. It wouldn't make any sense to my brain. But I know that if we, if I sit down with him and I go in the little blow-up treehouse with him and I wrestle him around, that's the same thing, kind of. You know what I'm saying? That's me and, hey, tell me what you like, little Johnny. Let's get in here and let's have some dad and son fun. All my point is, is my friends, we've got to engage on their level. We've got to get into the heart somehow. And that's going to vary from kid to kid, but we've got to do it. Here's the third one that might exasperate a kid, being no fun. Being no fun. Yeah, I know for some of us, it's a real challenge. Hey, dads, you got to have enough just spiritual discernment to know what to do with a water hose in the summer. You spray your kids with it. You know what I'm saying? You got to know what you got to know that there's times when you're going to get your nice suit wrinkly because it's time to scream and run around the house and tackle each other. There's got to be times when you get down in the mud and you do whatever you're doing. There's got to be times where you just know how to have fun, where you just take a water balloon, and you just, you know, you gently but you whip it. You know? There's got to be surprise in there because moms and dads should create a culture it's not all hard. It's good. This is a good world. This is a good space I was born into. And here's why it's helpful, because if moms and dads are into making fun memories like that, creating that context of love, when it comes time to discipline, and it should, and it does, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, that's going to go over way better. When those kids are convinced, yes, mom and dad disciplined me, but they madly love me. They're all over. They care about what's going on in my soul. And they're not just always, well, just be quiet. Hey, I don't have time to deal with this. Why can't you get your act together? Why can't you simmer down? These parents are invested. Here's one more for you. 
never or rarely saying I'm sorry. Never or rarely saying I'm sorry to kids. Have you ever had an overseer that was just, I mean, dude, straight up, they were a hypocrite. They, they, were, they were real ready to tell you what to do, but they would do things wrong all the time. And no one would ever say anything about it. That's hard on a kid. Here, here can I, let's all answer the clue phone together. Our kids know we're jacked up. They know we sin. They know we make mistakes. And sometimes the most freeing thing we can do is say, hey, junior, hey, listen, listen, this whole Jesus thing, this is real. And I know because I know I'm a sinner. Like, I know I need his grace. I mean, you see it. You see the way I sin against you sometimes. You see the way sometimes I bust you and you weren't even the one who did it. Sometimes I just grumble and yell at the wrong time. Sometimes I'm giving you a solution and that wasn't even the problem you asked about because I'm not paying attention, because I'm not caring about your heart enough. How many, again, you don't have to say anything, but if your parents would have just taken the time, I mean, you love them, but if they would have just said, man, I'm really sorry I did that. That was the wrong move. That was not how God had called me to represent him. How many, I mean, that would have just made a world of difference. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you asked one of the, your kids or grandkids, is there anything I've done lately that's hurt your feelings? And you model for them, humans make mistakes and humans trust the blood of Jesus is enough for them. So they ask for forgiveness and it keeps relationships tight and glued together. <clears throat> hey, let's do one more. Here's one other way to make sure that we are nourishing our families Number two is lead them. Lead them. Lead them. Oh, my word. Please lead them. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Don't wait for the school teacher to do it. Don't wait for their chums to do it. Parents, in Jesus' name, God has charged you and I to lead them and to not be apologetic about it, to not just go, I'm going to be the cool parent. I'm going to be the wishy-washy parent. I'm just going to do what they want. Hey man, have fun and create a culture of fun. And that's awesome. But lead them, lead them in God's ways. It's your job. It's your job. Here's the vision statement from Deuteronomy 6, starting in, in verse six. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And he's telling them, this is how I want you to parent. Impress them, God's ways, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, when you go to the movies, when you go on the walk, when you're meeting again at the family reunion, whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing, the right answer is always model God's ways and talk about them. And it's always in a relational connection. It's not just barking it at them. It's getting down in their world. It's having a conversation with our kids and saying, here's the truth. God wants to impart wisdom into you and he wants to use me to do it. He wants you to skip a whole bunch of mistakes. He wants you to use some of the stuff that I've learned and some of the mistakes I've made to help you thrive and prosper in your life. And here's the deal. You're gonna have to at times 
agree to just obey me even though you don't like it or don't understand. And God's gonna bless you for it. And God's gonna use this whole dynamic of our parenting to create a blessed, wise, healthy kid with a meaningful life. And it's not all gonna go perfect. It's not gonna be a storybook ending. I think it's a little humorous even to look at the logo for this Grace for Parents uh, series. You know, it's, it's kind of picture perfect, isn't it? There's this little perfect cutout, just like a story. But how many know families are, are, you know, they're occasionally like that. There's awesome times. But that picture doesn't depict all the difficulty, all the strain, all the sin. It doesn't show the single mom who's down on finances. It doesn't show the fighting that is going on. It doesn't show when the kids are yelling at the parents and sneaking out of the house. It doesn't show any of that stuff. But there's grace. You know what there is? There's grace. There's grace for parents. I wanna ask you to lead intentionally. Here's some ways that my wife and I have decided to do that. Now, listen, I don't want you to feel like I'm projecting anything on you. This is how the Lord has led us. And I know everybody's different. Everybody has maybe their values, you know, within the the realm of God's word, they're still tweaked a little bit different and that's just fine and dandy. So don't let, and don't get, let this give you a trip or anything like that. But here's some of the things, some of the choices we've made in order to give our kids a taste for what is blessed of God. Here's the first one. We homeschool our kids. We felt uniquely called to homeschool our kids. My wife was a teacher and a principal before we ever had any kids. And so she was uniquely equipped to do it. But we really believe there's things that are happening in the schools that they could attend. And Praise God, he calls some people there, but we wanna have those conversations first. We wanna have some of those worldview conversations and we do, but we're having it with us. We're not, we're not just allowing their best friend to come and just spew some kind of hell into their life without us being there to shape that and say, let's understand this within a biblical worldview or their teachers to rattle off some garbage or some nonsense that we would never want couched like that. I got to tell you guys, I mean, can I just tell on my friends a little bit? I don't mean to offend them. Uh, I, you know, I love them. But when I was a kid, my friends were fine and they were fun, but they were morons. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. They didn't understand anything. You know what I'm saying? They, they weren't going to weigh in intelligently on any kind of issue. They were just going to, here's a bunch of crazy hell coming out of my mouth. You know, and then, pff, well, it hit me. And, well, that is crazy. But my point is, My wife and I want us to be the ones that are helping in a big way shape how the world is hitting our kids. And we can't protect them from everything. That's not the point. The point is we're trying to create the lens through which they see it. Well, lots of reading. And that's just us, but that's, that's one of the things that we do to lead them. Lots of reading happens in our house. We want to resource our kids with books. We go to the library, get them a hundred books. We'll buy them books. And the whole reason we do this is because we believe there's a call in their lives and we want them to be leaders. And we're convinced that if you don't read, you can't lead ultimately down the road. And so we just shovel them books on them. Now there's, we're asking questions about some of those books and we're reviewing those books, but we want them addicted to devouring information. Here's what else. We're family centric. We have a strong sense of family identity in the Carter home. 
What that means is it's hard even to break in with other, some, some other kind of event. Even here at church, like we, we're trying to slowly get our kids into different things, but it takes a long time. It's hard because we're so family focused that we just have our guardrails and our boundaries and it just takes a long time to turn that shit, man. And we're gonna get there, but it's gonna take a long time and it's supposed to take a long time because it's highly protected. We do everything together. We're, everybody's, we're each other's best friends. We go to movies. We have ice cream together. We're always sitting down and playing games, playing cards, and we like it that way. And you might say, wow, man, y'all are some weird Amish crew, man. Y'all, <laughs> you make your own butter. What do y'all do over there, Carter? <laughs> nope, we don't make our own butter. <laughs> but here's why, here's why. Wherever family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. Wherever family identity and family culture is strong, peer pressure is weak. So we want it that way. We want them to be primarily, and, and there's, you know, as they get older, they get more and more influences and influence in different places. But in our house, that's how we're trying to lead them. We give lots of dates, both with parents and with kids. And we do that to teach them, to model for them. Relationships are important, baby. And you're going to see mom and dad. They're going to be on the couch every night after dinner. And they're investing in their relationship. And the reason we want them to understand that is so they understand this isn't all just a Disney princess movie. They're not just going to stumble along. Oh, I'm in love. And that's just going to be enough to ride it for the next 60 years. It's not enough to ride it. It's great to be in love, but you got to stoke the fire of that thing. I'm trying to help my kids understand Everybody's got a love bank and it's a spouse's job and responsibility to fill that love bank. So why are we spending time on that couch, kids? It's because mom, her, her most meaningful love bank is quality time. And it's my job to fill it. Listen, 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 listen. It's my job. It's not somebody else's job. It's my job. So if any punk comes around and doesn't have revelation that it's his job not only to woo you, but to continue to win you every day, then he's not the right guy. You understand that, girls? And they understand that one of the reasons, you know, daddies is in quality time, daddies will just call it smooching, okay? <laughs> Daddy needs a lot of smooching. The kids understand that. Daddy needs, needs a lot. Of, sometimes, you know, it's out in public. Other times it's behind closed doors. But daddy needs a lot of smooching. And it's mommy's job. Now, listen, listen. She loves it, okay? So I'm not saying it's like work. I'm just saying, I'm just saying they understand spouses need to work on their relationship in order to keep it white hot. They, we want them to see that their parents every morning for as long as they can remember are having time with God before they ever get up. We want them to understand because they understand they have a blessed life and they do. And we want them to understand this isn't random. This isn't arbitrary. Your life doesn't rock so much just because. It rocks so much. The truth is, is because God is in it. Because God is central to it. Because God is the one bringing all of this abundance. So that later on down the road, something clicks and it's like, oh, why does this taste so awful? Oh, because I'm not spending any time with God. That's why. Here's one more. We have standards of what we'll allow them to do. That means there's things like first-time obedience. That's a young age thing. Like we, we start early with that one. It's, it's a little late by the time they're eight years old. But it also influences stuff like what we allow them to watch. 
So we don't, we don't have just unfiltered internet. They don't get whatever kind of devices they want. And they're going to be free as a bird as they get older and they get more stuff. But we have this little device called Circle and that kicks them off the internet at the right times and it makes sure they're not going on the wrong websites. And why? Because our job as parents, one of the things we've got grace to do is grace to protect. And so we're protecting them from stuff that, yep, they'll be unfiltered later, but now in this young stage where they're easily influenced and easily addicted to evil, we're gonna keep it out as far as it depends on us. We watch VidAngel movies. That's where you can filter your movies and get all the hell out of them. And that's awesome, not only for them, but for us. But we're teaching them God's way is a different way, but it's also redonkulously fun. It's not dopey. It's not stingy. It's not lame. Dude, it's the jam diggity because God is the God of joy. Come on, you can clap for jam diggity. Come on, somebody. Hey, let me give you one more. Proverbs 22, six. Here's what we're trying to do in all this. Here's, here's why I just said all that. Here's why we do this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train, that word train is chanak. Let's all say that together. Chanak. Yep. That has to do with the palate. Here's, here's what it really, it means train or dedicate or, or initiate. But what would happen in Old Testament times is, as a woman had a baby, immediately the Hebrew mid, midwife would run in and she'd stick some paste on the palate, on the hanak of that kid's mouth so that it would make the connection. Every time I'm hungry, I have this taste, makes me want to eat. So that in the future, when they want it to eat, when they want the kid to nurse, and maybe it's not, stick a little more paste on the palate and suddenly it triggers, ding, I'm hungry. My friends, that's what we're doing when we build these structures into our kids' lives, when we build these protections, when we are having a culture of encouragement and not critique, where we are demonstrating the kinds of relationships that are positive and healthy. We're adjusting their palate so that when they get out on their own, it's not that they don't have access to everything under the sun, but they already have a taste for what is good. And so the book of Proverbs tells us we're to train them. You can read it right in your own notes there. Train them to fear God. Train them to manage God's money. Train them to watch their words. Train them to be responsible. Train them to be generous. Train them to carefully select friends. Train them to guard their minds. The end of that verse, Ephesians 6, 4, the verse we started with, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord of the Lord. This is all of the Lord. This is from the Lord. And we want our kids, there's grace on us to nourish them in such a way that when they grow up, they say, you know, it was my parents doing it, but it was the Lord. It was of the Lord. It was the Lord in his mercy and his goodness. He, the whole time was the one in his loving kindness and in his mercy, he was shepherding me because of his great affection for me. That's what we want. I think there's even some of us right now that we could look back at our own child and yes, our own childhood. And, and yes, there are things that went wrong. There are things that didn't go perfect. But what we really ought to do is say, God, there's a lot that went right. There's a lot you protected me from, even in the midst of maybe some cuckoo stuff, even some parents that seem to be out to lunch sometimes. God was there. 
And God still somehow got you around to where you are because of his loving kindness to you, because of his faithfulness to you, because he said, I know it's going nuts, but I'm going to go ahead and grab them anyway, and I'm going to train them, and I'm going to grab them, and I'm going to get them, and they're going to recognize later on it was of the Lord. It was God who did it, despite whatever anybody else did. Can somebody say amen? So my friends, there's grace for parents. What would it be like if we as a church were asking these questions of ourselves and what impact would it have on our city and on our county and on our nation? What are you doing to enhance your child's relationship with you? What are you doing to advance your child's relationship with God and what are you doing to influence your child's relationship with those outside the home? We are candidates for God's power as we admit our need for his grace. Let's bow our heads right now and ask for that grace. Hey, God, we want to thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, maybe there's someone here today that amidst everything that could have gone wrong, you were still there in the background. You were still pursuing them. You were still bringing circumstances together to call them to yourself. Hey, God, none of this is easy. We want to ask in Jesus' name for your grace. We admit that we're weak. God, we're not going to be perfect parents, but that makes us excellent candidates for your power. So would you come upon us? Would you ignite our parenting? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being His witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit Fierce.Church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.